Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Welcome to Really Good Shares. I'm AJ Delario, and in this podcast, I want to expand the definition of recovery. And I'm going to do that by talking with people who've helped me persevere by showing me all the ways they help themselves. Today's episode is another Al-Anon-focused one where we'll talk about trauma, reparenting, detachment, and forgiveness, and grace. Today's guest is someone I've bonded with over our complex relationships with our parents, or our sick parents, actually. And that's Mary H.K. Choi, who's a New York Times bestselling author and an amazing writer who's managed to write and think in majestic and interesting ways about imperfect human families. Her latest novels are Yoke and Emergency Contact, but she's also written comic books for Marvel. And as you'll soon find out, she's just intimidatingly smart and wise. Mary's also very committed to her recovery. She's part of the ACA program, which stands for Adult Children of Alcoholics. But some members attend even though they were not raised by drunks, and I put myself in that category, and I believe she does too. My main objective is to figure out how to reparent myself. I think everyone should figure out how to reparent themselves. Now, for those of you not familiar with that term, we've brought in friend of the show, friend of the universe, Peaceful John, here to explain what reparenting means. Well, I have come to understand that the way I was parented by people who were themselves parented was with a lot of fear and worry and negative thinking. So I try to reparent on the model of accepting and kindness and unconditional love with humor and respectfulness so that I'm not slapping my own hands every time something goes wrong, but I'm saying, oh, that happened, you behaved that way, you did or didn't do that, and that's okay, maybe next time you can be better. 
I think more than not being mean, I think it's opening our hearts to the reality that I'm not doing things out of evil motives. I'm doing things out of habit or misperception. And to try to treat myself as though I am well-intentioned because I think I am and I think most humans are. I can see people's reaction to me when I'm not being gentle. So just to be honest about the fact that my behavior and, and my communication has, has a result, has an effect, and I understand that that's also the internal truth. That's nice, right? Now, Mary's still in the early part of her recovery. Here's a little bit about why she's in ACA to begin with. I'm just mentally stunted and emotionally stunted to react like a freaking child at everything and with the egocentrism of a child. So it's like, I want everybody to be responsible for me. And I am appalled that not everyone is in my family is dying to parent me now that I'm in my 40s. You know, I'm like... So Mary and I met via my newsletter, The Small Bow, and began to become email confidants over our shared experience of what we'll call having complicated relationships with our parents. First with me. Uh, I entered Al-Anon a few years ago not knowing if I qualified, but the ACA meeting I attend because of the chunk of classic program text called The Problem. And when I first stepped into the room and heard a fellow member recite the segment I'm about to read to you, I found what I was looking for. And as you listen through, see if you can do your own sort of emotional contact tracing. Quote, many of us found that we had several characteristics in common as a result of being brought up in an alcoholic or dysfunctional household. We lived life from the standpoint of victims, having an overdeveloped sense of responsibility. We preferred to be concerned with others rather than ourselves. We got guilt feelings when we stood up for ourselves rather than giving in to others. Thus, we became reactors rather than actors, letting others take the initiative. We were dependent personalities, terrified of abandonment, willing to do almost anything to hold on to a relationship in order not to be abandoned emotionally. Yet we kept choosing insecure relationships because they matched our childhood relationship with alcoholic or dysfunctional parents. That's me. That's me. That's me. But then there's also the solution. And here's a portion from that, which is what kept me coming back. Quote, feelings and buried memories will return by gradually releasing the burden of unexpressed grief. We slowly move out of the past. We learn to reparent ourselves with gentleness, humor, love, and respect. That's what I want. That's what I'm working on. So that's when I began to look at the relationship with my parents differently, mostly with my dad, who for most of my life was someone I was afraid of and also someone whom I desperately wanted affection from. I think we've talked about this before. My father was a bully. He said cruel things constantly and was a very punitive household. I was constantly getting stuff taken away from me, toys or my electric guitar or trips or, or college. When I got out of rehab, we fought like physically fought, but it was always broken. For the next few years, we'd be okay for a while, and then we'd have another big fight and not speak anymore. 
The last real big blow-off we had was in 2019, and he'd come to visit me and my wife and his grandchildren. He said something awful to my mom in front of the kids, and in return, I threatened to throw him off the deck. Now, that felt good at the time, but then it obviously felt bad again. Because I loved my father. I wanted my father to love me. I also wanted to hurt him because he'd hurt me for so long. And then when I started to learn some of the tools in Al-Anon and engage with my father differently and hopefully finally put this stuff to rest and honestly tell him how he hurt me, stick up for myself, create boundaries, healthy ones this time. By then my father was diagnosed with dementia and his memory started to quickly fade. The cruel cosmic prank of this whole scenario revealed itself. Just when I was ready to find some peace and rebuild our relationship and work through some of my bad memories, his memory went away. So where will I get my peace finally? I thought it was never possible and then around Black Friday of this year, in the middle of a meeting, something changed for me. And the first person I wanted to share this with was Mary H.K. Choi. So I want to tell you, so I was in a men's AA meeting. This guy who I adore also has dad issues, and usually when he or anyone else really brings up bad dad stories, like, I love to pile on. But this time, something was different. Beat the shit out of dad time sort of thing. And what I noticed was, oh, here is this kind of space that I've been just, like, looking for, which just, like, I don't have to pick this up right now. I think I've forgiven the man. Wow. It was gone, right? You know, the cumulative uh, five years of work or whatever that's been kind of going into this, the therapy, Al-Anon, writing about this shit, blah, blah, blah. And I just, it, it was no longer there. It was just like I saw it and I was just like, I'm not going to pick this up right now. What's it going to be like without this heavy weight, right? Big stuff, right? So neutrality. <laughs> yep. That's, I'm actually trying to observe like how it's making me feel. I'm like, is this envy? It, like, what is this? But that's actually, I mean, I aspire to that a right. lot. Question, did you have that sort of like investigative, almost perverse, I've got to investigate the presence of this absence is there like dry socket? Does it hurt? You know, that sort of like, let me just like push on it, see if it actually is a bruise. Or did you really leave it alone? I, no, I, I was, like I said, it was, it's there still. I can see it, but it's like, mm. I do not, I, it's almost like I, when I stop smoking, right? Mm. I can have one, but I don't want it now. Like, I don't want it at all. Where it's just like, this used to be kind of just, this used to be part of me so, so much. Where it's just like, and I was, I was telling my, my Al-Anon sponsor, like this big thing. And I was like, when I first walked into that room and I was like, I didn't know exactly, I didn't consider my dad a qualifier. I just considered his, I thought he was just part of me. I just thought that was, I thought that was his stamp was in me and it was in my bones. And I was just like, I had to work around who, who he thought I was, was who I was. 
oh, that's actually really rough and like super seductive because if you're just like, oh yeah, my dad isn't this like ongoing activating presence. It's this thing that's integral and like completely just baked into my operating system. That's really fucked up. Yep. I mean, basically, I'm like, basically, I'm just like, that's a lot of work. And I think the smoking metaphor really hits home because it's not like you wake up one day and like you, you forget to know that smoking exists. But you do like imagine how it's going to taste when you light up and then you you sort of go in the motions and you're like, no, I don't think I want that right now. Or I don't want that craving right now. Right. What I'm hearing is you're like, I'm not taking it all so personally anymore. You know, we're, we're taught so often, like, don't get butt hurt around like colleagues or in the workplace or whatever. But it just seems so appropriate as it relates to like family members. Yeah. It's really beautiful that you had that moment to notice Mm -hmm. because it's not the binary like when you're quitting like the substance where you're like that thing that was in my life that made so many things so much better before it made it so much worse is actually gone, like categorically gone. The people stuff is like unbelievable. It's so subtle and it's so cunning and slippery. Like you can transfer that onto like fucking anyone all the time and so the fact that you're aware of it and the fact that you can see that around your dad especially now especially given his health and I mean the dementia piece is just what an extra (laughs) extra fucked up in particular shape you know now let's back up a bit Mary and I started talking soon after I wrote an essay about my mother detaching from her at a time when she was given six months to live by her oncologist. Um, It's too much to get into here, but basically after many years of what I consider just crazy making behavior from both my mother and my father about her illness and and her care and just who was lying and uh, whatever, the healthiest thing for me to do was to distance myself. Now, I know this might sound cruel, That is why we brought in Peaceful John again to explain why detachment is a useful and a sometimes necessary path to healing. Detachment means that I don't need to make someone behave in a certain way or stop behaving in a certain way. It means that they get to be who they are without threatening me. It allows me to stop taking things personally and to give people the honor of their own lives and their own choices. So it creates a little space between me and them. It can sometimes, in my experience, be perceived as aloofness or a lack of concern or caring. When the model of relationship is enmeshment, detachment can seem very threatening. I know that to be true. But if my intention is to honor the person's choices, if my intention is to do my best to weed out my self-righteousness, and my belief that I know better, if, if, I, if I'm really trying to weed those things out, then I can behave in a way that is more accepting and loving. So Mary reached out because her own parents were very ill. First it was her mother and then her father, who was currently in the ICU and dying of ALS. It's the holidays, and I know a lot of people feel guilt around this time of the year. But I hope through our conversation we can alleviate some of that. 
So now let's dive into the whole big thing. I super remember exactly the story that was going on with you and your mom, because that's when I hit you up. I felt so compelled by it because my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And then two months later, my dad was diagnosed with ALS. And the fact that you chose then to be like, I'm going to be like Homer Simpson backing into the shrubbery. I was just like, whoa, dude, how, what do I do? Like, where do I put my hands? How can I also do this? And that just sounded so fucking advanced. And the part, I mean, that's, and that's when I started going into people programs. That's when, like, I really started to be like, the problem isn't who my mom is and who my mom has always been. The problem isn't who my father is and the way they are together. The problem is how I feel about it. Yeah. Now, only because it's not me and it's you, I can look at that and be like, yeah, apparently your parents really needed to believe that version of it. And ultimately, the really fucked up thing is like, who, who was right? But it's also it's also one of those things that I don't need to solve those mysteries anymore, too, right? Right. I mean, just like it's 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 ultimately like you know I don't want to play the memento game. I don't want to do that. I feel like I was I've been doing that for so long, and um, you know I I've I can fix my stuff, and they can come along along the way. I mean they're they're still stunted, right? I mean. My mother still interacts with me like I, I don't know who she who was who she was raising, but you know it's it's stunning to me how much she doesn't know or refuses to know about me. It's uh, it's frustrating still, but you know. I mean, that's to me the gift, though. There's a point at which I don't. I think it happened, like honestly, pretty recently, probably in the last three to six months, where it just like struck me so completely and like viscerally, my mom is not as obsessed with me as I am with her. And there's something so perverse and unnatural and like unfair feeling about that. It does like excite a tremendous amount of petulance and just like the fuck, this shitty planet, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, it's like my mom is so indifferent to who I am. (laughs) Right. And she's never going to get it. You're right. Like you kind of get to a point where it's, that's not, the pain point anymore. That's not the sole source of grief. And like, I can either choose to have some kind of like operational relationship with her, or I can just ruminatively obsess about how I'm owed something. Yeah. Or, or your mom has cancer and her husband has ALS. You know, like I'm sitting here being like dragging this aging meat suit around, pounding, being like, oh, you know, poor me, what was me, whatever. And I'm just like, yo, like my mom got a bum ass deal. I'm like writing freaking essays and op-eds about like my year and like my marriage <laughs> and like, you know, the impact. Yeah. Meanwhile, my mom is super fucked up and she is shockingly behaving in a fucked up way. And so, I don't know, the the fact that for so long, it's like, I don't stand up for myself. I'm not the protagonist of my own narrative. But the thing is, with this one, I'm like, hey, guess what? It might not be your narrative. And I don't know, it's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, I, I can't, I don't find it actionable every day. But like, I think I'm finally sort of coming around to the idea that maybe that is what life, is actually. 
Right. And so it's like that feeling. I feel both younger and older. I was always in dress rehearsals for like whatever the occasion would be, like whenever my life would start. Right. I really, I got to tell you, I really thought by the time I would have closure with my parents, I thought I would be thinner and more attractive. So it's not even like attached to an age. I was just like, I don't know what this day is, but I'm going to be wearing something incredible. And so like, there is an aspect to this where I'm surprised that I'm only just finding some kind of peace in my 40s. And there's that tape, that old tape of being like, yo, if you came into these powers at, let's say, 27, can you imagine how much better everything would be? Real quick, I'm going to jump in here. Reparenting is hard, and I'm in a pretty good space with it right now, but the process required me to look back at some tough moments. Mary's still working through it. She's been looking back at some tough moments in her own childhood. Man, a lot less bothers me at this age. I don't think I could take aging if I were any younger, (laughs) basically. (laughs) I have the thing with my parents. I look at them and I cannot believe how old they are. Like, my parents are fucking frail and enfeebled. Like, my father is bedridden. Like, the guy who would lose lose it. Like, absolutely fly off the handle. And I remember you know, because we grew up in kind of a violent household. I remember at 11 when he was like beating my ass and I could see, I was like, oh, you're, you've lost it. Like you, you, there is no version of this that you can rewrite as being for my benefit. Yeah. And I will say that kids do know the difference. Intention is like wild. Yeah, so the fact that that dude is just, like, kind of on his way out is astounding. Like, I never thought that could happen because I thought this part of life, this dress rehearsal part, wasn't done. (laughs) But he's apparently dying, so apparently I was wrong. Do you have vengeance at all still in your heart? God, I I did until really recently. Mm Mm-hmm. So I've been going back to Texas a lot from New York, you know, all throughout pandemic, because that was the other thing. It's just like they got sick while hospitals were doing what they were doing. And so I started going back and quarantining, which meant suddenly I was back in Texas for a month, whereas I had not been there for longer than a week since I left 20 years ago. And I was staying in this house and it was deliberately sort of far away from them and my parents came over and we ate outside and my dad, I mean, it's, it's freaking Texas. It's, it's hot as shit. And he had to go inside. And so, you know, we put our masks on and then we were putting him on a, a sort of like daybed sofa thing. And on the way there, his pant caught on something and he fell. And, you know, I fantasized about, like, physical vengeance. I fantasized about, like, bad things happening to them. And then, I mean, it's never just, like, and then it ends. And then it's, like, and then I feel terrible. And I go to the funeral. You know, it's just, and then it's a very long story. But, like, when he fell, it was, like, slow motion. 
And he landed on his face and he was bleeding. And um, his glasses sort of skittered off his face. And it just like, it was just like so vivid. When he fell, he kept saying, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? And when I got him on the couch and he was bleeding and kind of whimpering and I was cleaning up the wound on his face and like putting Neosporin on him and I realized I hadn't, like I hadn't physically touched my dad in like 20 years. And like, it was so surprising. Again, like I'm a writer. Like if I were to write that scene, I would not have the imagination for what he's saying to be, where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? And I think, I think a lot of like the vengeance fantasies or even just that, that old thing of like, you know, the best revenge is living well. Like I think a lot of my obsession with workaholism and like professional ambition has, is around vengeance. It's around like, fuck you too. Like you fucks. You never approved of a goddamn thing I did. And look at me, I'm fucking winning. I'm winning at you. But like, I think when my dad fell, I think that that was when I like really understood that I don't actually have the stomach for vengeance. Right. So weirdly, there's a lot of relief in that. You know, if I still wanted vengeance against the dude you know, it's like fucking Lord of the Flies. Like the kid is looking for his glasses, you know? Like, I think that that would be so corrosive and something that would have so much more to do with who I ended up and who I am than anything that they could have done, like, to me. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you still have vengeance fantasies? I mean, that's the thing about the dementia piece. It's like, you know... Like, that person doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore, but I still, I mean, I, I've had it a couple times, and the, just we'll call them memory flare-ups, where I will get so angry over some of the things that are just constantly playing on a loop where it's just like, okay, here are these, here are these pivotal moments that basically just like made me hate my dad, afraid of my dad, hate me. Right. And lining all those things up. And sometimes they kind of come in hot on certain days. And, and I, and I, and I really, I did fantasize, I think a lot before he got really sick. And I had the one interaction with him where I threatened to throw him off the deck at our old house. And he was 77 or something like that. And, like, we fought, like, physically before, like, you know, I saw on his face to basically say, and don't ever come back here again, right? Like, I really wanted to slam the door in his face, physically, metaphorically, whatever. And... I thought that that was how it was supposed to end. I thought that was going to finally give me the relief and the release that I was seeking. I thought that's what I was doing all this stuff right, for a long period of time. But little by little, it started to kind of decrease. And I saw just like, oh, how same thing with you. And 
Man, I'm like so glad I never did that. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, that whole resentment piece that like drinking poison, expecting the yeah. other one to die. God, I wish I could resent them into like metaphorical whatever death and just be done. Like I, I would, there's been times with my parents where I'm just like, you know, it's not like suicidal ideation or anything so, sort of like where I'm like planning anything. I'm just like, can I just be done with you? Like, I would love to fast forward until they're dead. Like the second they got sick, I was like already, you know, like everything is copy. I'm like, the moment I found out my father had passed, yeah. you know, just I'm already writing the essay and it's so yeah. soothing and it's great. And like, I would love to be there. But the thing is, it's like, I know that that's not what it is. And do you, did you, do you have this thing where you're like, you've been talking so long about how sick your dad is and how, how deranged it makes you feel and how painful and uncomfortable it is. And that I always feel like I'm running out of other people's goodwill. I'm like, guess what guys? I'm so sorry. He's still alive. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. I still have feelings about this. I, just yeah. like, I feel like I, I'm like the girl who cried. My dad died. And it's just, it's not, it's so unsatisfying. No, yeah. But you know, I did have a moment the other day where like I FaceTimed with him And we don't FaceTime, like we don't do any of these things. And he said he wanted to see me. And so, you know, my mother set up the phone and we were talking. And first of all, I was like, holy shit, like as a total addict, black and white thinker, binary person, I was like, oh, you mean I don't have to be in Texas for a month to talk to my dad? Like revolutionary. I was like, I can titrate doses of my father. <laughs> like, this is wonderful. Right. And so I'm talking to him and I was telling him that my books are being translated into Korean, which is this like really loaded thing where I, but, you know, I'm just like, oh, the reason why we don't get along is because we don't speak English or I don't speak Korean, or the reason why we don't get along is because they have no appreciation for my art, for my craft, for my work, or what I'm doing, or what I'm about. And so it was this moment where I could tell them that my work is being translated. And it was because of all the work where I was just like, oh, it's so awesome that I know that they won't read it. <laughs> like, it's so <laughs> awesome that I know that I have all these expectations yeah. and none of it will come right. to fruition. But I was able to tell my dad over FaceTime that it was happening. And he's, he has a tracheostomy, he is on a ventilator, he is bedridden, he doesn't look like himself. And he his face lit up and he was mouthing how happy he was. And you know, like, that was this moment where I was like, your dad is not dead. Like he is here, he is very much here. He is coherent, he is cogent. He heard you. He's happy for you. And I can receive that because he's not dead. And like the fact that I can acknowledge that as a gift without shame, without making it being about the audience members to my life who think I'm like full of shit. Yeah. That too, I'm just like, this is so nice. And I, I wouldn't have had this unless he was still alive. And I wouldn't have had this unless being there and showing up with all this discomfort wasn't what was actually going on. And that's really nice. That's huge. 
it's so huge. And I don't, you know, I don't know if I like eroded it because I'm talking about it on a podcast, but in that moment I was like, oh, you're not even going to write about this. This is for you. It's and and AJ. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. and, And so that too, I'm just like, there's just different parts of this. She's amazing. That was very helpful to me, and maybe it helped you analyze and organize uh, some of your own hard-to-process emotions about your family. It is the holidays, after all. But remember, detachment doesn't mean totally cutting someone off. It's about creating healthy boundaries for yourself in a way that will help you feel less bad about some of the more potent interactions with your family. Now, this is a very important step in preserving my relationship with my family. We've actually grown closer, and I know how to remove myself from certain conversations and not make things worse. And the cumulative effect of my work in Al-Anon and work with my therapist and my sobriety, uh, this has all helped me reframe the relationship with my father. I love my dad. I forgive him, or at least I forgive the memory of him and how he used to make me feel. Because the man I was afraid of who hurt me or wounded me is, is no longer around. And despite some of the heaviness of the conversation I had with Mary, I mean, I truly believe she's on her way to that conversation she had with her father on FaceTime, I mean, that's huge. I was very excited to to share this news because I was like, you know, I'm not going to write about because it happened like a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I'm going to tell Mary first and then we're going to talk about it. Well, I'm still going to have the same feeling as when you told me about your mom, which is like, how, where do I put my hands? How can I have this, you know? Where well, is it? Is this like a Patreon uh, thing? Like, can I have it? I think you're you're there pretty much. I mean, if you just that that whole FaceTime thing, you're 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 there. I'm like in the neighborhood, and I know that that's a really big deal. And I'll fucking take it, and I'll take it. So, Merry Christmas, and remember, it's not your job to fix everything by the end of the year or ever really. Just heal yourself. If you do that, everything else will work itself out. We have one more episode in 2021 that we're going to drop on December 31st. And it's a quickie. I'll be reading a share about my first New Year's Eve sober. And if this is your first New Year's Eve sober, I just want to let you know you won't feel as bad or as alone or as uncool forever. See you then. Really Good Chair is hosted by me, AJ Delario. We're produced by Julian Weller, Jackie Huntington, and Jessica Kreinchich with production assistance from Lindsay Hoffman. Our theme music is Everything You'll Ever Need by Swamp Talk. In this episode, Swamp covered nothing. We ran out of money. Our executive producers are myself and Julian Weller. Special thanks to Mangesh Hatikater and Bethann Macaluso. And extra special thanks to Mary H.K. Choi for pretty much everything. She was phenomenal. 
If you liked what you heard here, check out thesmallbow.com. That's bow as in bow and arrow. Yes. We'll be back next week with that thing I told you about, my first New Year's Eve sober essay. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.